Let me do a mic check. Um, how is the volume at the back? Or anyone not here very well? A bit higher. Okay, I'm going to see if I can. I don't know what to pin it on. Let's try this. That's, how's that? Is that any better? Yeah? Okay. Great. This phrase is coming to me as I sit here, um, which is, so have you got what you came for? Yeah? (laughs) And what did you come for? And thank you for the notes and uh, sentences and thought and care in the notes about what your heart's desire is, what you're seeking, what what brings you here. It's very helpful for us to see those, feel those, get to know you a little bit more. And I want to reflect tonight, if I can, on a couple of things. One is on the idea central in the path of awakening and what, where that is for you, that, that the path is pointing toward the, the Buddha's teachings in all the various ways they're um, unpacked for us are pointing to awakening. So I would like to look a little bit at that and to make that possibility um, and that vision one that is ours. Whether you want to call it awakening or not is entirely up to you. But the vision that the the Buddha offers as to what that might look like. And then I'd like to try and unpack a little bit about attention and the training of attention which is part of the um, necessary steps, if you like, in any path um, of awakening. So let's start with awakening, if if I may be so bold. Um, All of us will have an idea, whether it's conscious or not conscious. I'm positing this. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Leave me a note later. I'm sure you will. But I posit that we all have an idea or an image of what the goal of the path is for us, whether it's explicit in our articulation to ourselves or not. There will be a sense of what might be possible um, based on what um, experiences you've had in your life, where you've been opened, saw more clearly, felt more deeply, touched reality more intimately, maybe based on things we've read about others' experiences of uh, see, going deeper, let's say may be a kind of an amorphous collection of uh, images in our minds uh, based on, literally on imagery, 
um, you know, oh, maybe the goal of the path is, is that, right? Because we have these images uh, from this tradition of Buddhas, of Bodhisattvas, What else? And then maybe with those ideas, images, experiences that we've had, we may either be seeking to have those again or try and mold ourselves into certain shapes. Um, and I would suggest also that, that we're likely to have a, an idea of who and what it would be like to feel being awakened, being having reached the goal of the path. Um, and I'd like to unpack that a little bit because I think uh, that's worth casting some light on. Because whatever conceptual framework we have explicitly or implicitly placed around the goal of what we're doing here, that will potentially be supportive or be limiting, right? Because all conceptual frameworks will have their edges of what they don't embrace. Or at worst, it may just keep us in repetitive cycles with our path and our practice, where we may have reached a plateau and we're doing it because that's what we do, but the verve, the, the, the juice, the life force, the sense of possibility may have drained away that was there in the beginning. So let's look a little bit at um, any other, unpack these ideas a little bit more. Do any of you have a, a sense that awakening will be when, it's hard to admit these sometimes, when I have gone beyond being disturbed by life? Anyone have that idea? <laughs> After all, didn't the Buddha talk about the end of suffering, you know? And what's the end of suffering look like if it's not that I don't have to suffer anymore? <laughs> it seemed like a fair enough idea, wouldn't it? And we have images of equanimity and these beautiful qualities. There is something the Buddha speaks about where he speaks about the unperturbable, the imperturbable, not perturbed. And I would suggest that's different than not being disturbed. That awakening may include a Buddha is one who can be disturbed and has cultivated presence, attention, wisdom and kindness in such a way that their mind does not shrink around disturbance but resonates with it breathes with it, includes it, sees how it fits and is able to respond. So I just want to make that difference between imperturbable and being disturbed. I think the Buddha felt a lot. The predicament of the world and the beings that he was in. Anybody have an idea of awakening or the goal? You may not even use the language of awakening. The goal of the path as when I have dissolved 
into complete dissolvedness. <laughs> whatever that might look like, when I, whatever we imagine that might be. Something in the longing to cease, for something to cease. Cessation, something oh, that to come to the end of the treadmill where, oh, let me, let me dissolve into all the elements. And Again, I think there is something that may be accurate in that image, but not limited to that image. And I think that's what I would really want for all of us, is that all of these different ideas and images may have a place, but let's not limit our conception of awakening to any one of these. So yes, I think there is something in us that wants to know the possibility of perhaps being uh, transparent to reality. And to not stop there. That all awakening any beings who have awakened to whatever degree in this world and worlds we may have no idea about, always will come through a unique, physical, embodied version of you with your particular uniqueness that doesn't disappear in our awakening and the expression of our awakening. And how to hold that paradox of the teachings. And again, I'm going, in a sense, I'm going straight to the deep end, we could say. But how to hold that paradox of complete and utter. There's not one thing here that I can fix, eight and call me. Not one thing in any ultimate sense. And yet, that understanding coming through this very, very particular, very specific body, being, in a location, in time, in space, in culture, in history, in a nation, in a land, this one, which is you which is you. So this, I think, is what the Buddha means by the middle way, where we're not trying to locate, like he means many things by the middle way, but in this case, we are not locating a final arrival out of time, of in space, or even in time and space. So if this all sounds a little bit too esoteric for anyone to start with, we will get there in the days. The coming back to the um, simplicity of our training is what will let these things be real, or if they show not to be real for you, you will see for yourself. So can awakening be you? 
have you included yourself in that possibility, this goal of the path? Or do you, and I remember one of my teachers, it was so helpful, he would say this very regularly, do you somehow think that it's for other people? Or actually that your aspiration is, you know, I just want to be, I just want to be, actually I do want to be undisturbed, okay. Yes, and let that longing that I would say brings us here, the longing to know what, who, where, how we are, beyond any one particular definition, including all of them, respecting all of them, attending where attention is needed. And attention is needed. One of my colleagues, he, uh, I talked with him this year, he's recently disrobed. He was a monk for, uh, he, he did two stints actually as a monk. Like from a young man from like 20 to 30 and then he had a couple of years off and then he did like from 33 to 49. Long time. And uh, I really loved how he was teaching everything wants to be seen. Everything wants to be known. Everything wants to be loved. How does this fit with awakening? So I want to read this from one of my teachers describing um, one story of awakening, one way you can conceive of it if you wish. So he's, he begins talking about, he says, the Buddha taught the Dhamma Vinaya. He didn't just teach the Dhamma, he taught the Dhamma Vinaya. The Dhamma, he says, focuses more on internal matters of the mind, while Vinaya teachings are strongly social and ethical in focus. Okay, so it's a whole package. In the monastic tradition, you really hear that. They don't talk about just Dhamma, they talk about Dhamma Vinaya. So he says, in this sense, awakening is completely nestled in the world. He says, the world, as the way the Buddha describes it, includes the inner domains of the mind and its beliefs, as well as the immaterial environment and culture and social structures and what we would typically call the world, which is you know, normally conceived of, you know, here's me and there's the world, it's everything out there, right, everything. So it, everything's included here. He says, this total environment is what the Buddha referred to as the world. He says, this is the world that the Dharma Vinaya addresses. This is, the, this is the nature of which we humans are an intrinsic aspect. We are the, or an, we are an aspect of this cosmos that reflects on itself and can thereby develop a holistic wisdom that embraces 
and transcends any point or detail within the whole. Such wisdom accepts and cares for all, but it is not attached or confined to any position within that cosmos. How does that sound? Not to be confined or attached to any position within that cosmos. He says, whether that be self, other, mind state, a tree, a society, or even infinite consciousness. So I just want to say that again. Such wisdom accepts and cares for all, but is not attached or confined to any one thing. Any one thing of your inner experience. Have you been attached or confined by anything that's arisen today? <laughs> Any thoughts? Attached and confined? Anybody? Anybody not attached and confined to any particular thought? Where, where our attention, here's how it looks, here's how it feels to me, and my attention kind of go from a potentiality, this awakened potentiality of um, resonating with all of it and yet not limiting myself to a particular. From this potential, something happens, someone does something, something or other, and then shoop, my attention squeezes down to a feeling, a thought, usually both, <laughs> a, a, a spin, forgotten about why I'm here, but just they need to go, or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is we're convinced is the disturbance. Now, Dharma practice, and I really, I, I, I am hoping and assuming everyone knows this, is not about passively uh, kind of putting my hands out and, you know, it's all good. It's not a passive acceptance, but the acceptance of what is arising here, where my attention may have got limited, that that I first meet, accept, embrace, touch, and see if I'm confined. I work on freeing up that attention first. Not that there may not be an issue, because there are issues in this world, but because right now my attention has got captured. And a captured attention is tiring. What have you noticed about when your attention is captured? It's tiring, it's exhausting. It may have, sometimes has a lot of charge in it, but it, it sometimes gets a bit repetitive. The creativity goes, actually. I, I notice when my attention gets captured. So your attention, when the training of attention is to have a free attention. One person recently described love, loving another, is the free offering of attention to another. I offer my attention freely, not because I've gotten you know, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of attention. It's it exciting for a while, right? But a free offering of attention, if it's you know, wanted, needed. So let's look at attention a little bit. 
So I want to do an experiment. If you're willing to participate. I'm going to say two words and I just want you to notice what happens. It's an, it's an imperative. It's like a little command. I'm going to say. Notice what happens to your attention when I say it. So you probably all, you probably already noticed something's happened to your attention. I'm basically, I'm already saying pay attention, aren't I? It's like pay attention. Here's the imperative. See if you can notice what happens. Everybody, pay attention. Pay attention now. <laughs> well, some of you might have gone, no, I'm not playing. <laughs> depending on our style. <laughs> All right. But if you did play, what did anyone notice about when I said it? What happened to your body? What happened to your heart? What happened to your mind? What happened to your attention, basically? Anybody? Yeah? The question to what came up. Oh, to what? Okay, so we take it as what? Okay, to what? All right. Maybe I'll do another experiment in a minute. Thanks, Jane. Uh, yeah? Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Um, I was much more aware of your body movements afterwards. Oh, right. So you paid attention here to me, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tosca. She contracted in her forehead. Anyone else notice that? Yeah. Shay, did you want to s agree or say something? Am I gonna? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a. We're such sensitive creatures. So much can go on. So yes, thank you very much. Let me try one more. You kind of know the gist of it now, but I'll give you something to pay attention to. Okay, everybody, pay attention to your breath. Anybody, what did you notice? Okay. <laughs> okay, it worked. And did you notice anything about the way of attending, the quality of the attention, or where the attention is located, for example? Yeah. Right, so, we, so, so sometimes we hear the ex instruction and everything becomes delineated in a certain way, so exaggerated. Marlon? My eyes moved, it kind of lowered, and, and the gaze went a little bit in. Right, the eyes lowered and the way gaze went a little bit in. Yeah. And you made this gesture, like almost like a little... <laughs> what was no, that? No, it was more uh, softer, but I fell kind of inward. Okay, you came inward, great. Yes, Ginny? Yeah. It felt natural. Great. Yes. Good. Thanks. And keep asking me. How's that? If I if the jumper flops over. Ah, 
Jodine. How's that, Ginny? Yeah. Yes. My, my mind couldn't compute what the breath was. I, I just went like a vacuum. A vacuum, yeah. What is that? And I just froze. I froze. Thank you. These are all really, really good pieces of information. What happens when we hear that instruction? Because we say it a lot. I mean, not so exaggerated. But yeah, so whether we freeze, whether it's natural, whether the forehead contracts, whether we're wondering to what, whether, you know, what all the different things that we notice, we really want, I want to put the spotlight on this quality of attention. Because that's what we're training, yeah. My chest got tighter. Your chest got tighter, yeah. I'm curious, actually, how many people notice some kind of tightening in that, yeah. Some kind of, so whether it's forehead tightening, chest tightening, something rigidifying, yeah. Yeah. Yes. No physical reaction, but I, I don't like people telling me what they do. I thought I would have a resistance. And when I didn't, I thought, what's wrong with me? <laughs> okay. Okay, that's, that's interesting. So normally he knows himself as someone that doesn't like to have imperatives, someone telling him what to do. He was expecting the resistance to show up. It didn't. So he thought, what's wrong with me that my resistance isn't showing up? Is that right? Yeah. So I normally have resistance to instructions, and I'm not. But I, then, we can, then our attention can get busy looking for it, right? Looking for our contention with reality. Yeah. So, a little bit about attention, because that's what you've got that's what we're training. That's what's going to shape our retreat and our mind, actually. That if we're not clear with this gift of attention and clear in where we place it, how we place it, where it goes, if we're not clear with it, as one of my colleagues says, somebody else will be. Right? Attention is, it's well known, like if you think about advertising, it's very skilled at getting our attention. And um, sometimes we think our attention is freely given to the things we look at, but if we study and contemplate attention, we will see the difference between free attention where we are allowed and have some wisdom and choice and mastery, actually, of how and where we place attention, as opposed to unfree attention that is captured, that is um, hijacked, in a sense, or that is just sent down familiar ruts in our mind that become repetitive and lack life. So this is a really, really important piece. This really makes the difference. There's a quote from the Buddha where he says, I know nothing as much as an untrained mind to conduce to unhappiness. And I know nothing as much as a trained mind to conduce to happiness. So the training, while it can look a little confining at times, we put ourselves through these tracks of sitting and standing and walking and again and again and again, 
right? It looks repetitive, it is. But this is to help train our attention into less familiar tracks, usually, beginning with mindfulness of body, to be attentive as body, through body. Less familiar tracks and wholesome tracks. Tracks that if we continue sending our attention in this way, with this intention, it will lead somewhere good for us. And consequently, as we've seen, awakening is not a private affair. It's the world. We train our attention. We do this for each other. So let's open up the idea of attention. For some of us, it will be very much a head center quality, this sort of light of attention. But I'd love it if we can include the whole of us as something that can attend. All of our senses, this bright, seeing mind, this body that can know through touch, that can know so-called externally through touch and can know internally through sensation through touch. That our attention could include our hearing, our so-called external hearing, knowing through listening, and our internal hearing, the sensitive sensing of hearing. That our attention could return itself to a wholeness that highlights the aspect of attention that is to be able to tend to something, like you tend to a fire. For those of you who've ever made fires, you tend to the fire. Imagine you come to your meditation cushion after this, tomorrow morning, for the rest of the retreat, and you are tending to this fire. You are tending to this fireplace, twig by twig, branch by branch that you give it that kind of quality when you attend to someone you love. When you attend to a newborn life and you wonder at the miracle of it. Like, how often do you come to your meditation cushion and wonder, wow, how did this miracle get here? And you know, maybe somebody didn't look at you that way but it's not too late. It's really not too late. Tending in all the ways we tend, tending in the way you might to um, an elderly person who needs a real precise and delicate care. This this year, uh, last January, my elderly mom fell on uh, the invisible ice. Um, and broke her hip and had it had to have it replaced. Uh, and she came back to the house I grew up in 
where she lived with my brother. And there was a way she has, her, her skin at 92 had become so thin, had become so thin. That she, and she had these uh, support stockings to stop thrombosis, you know, these ones that are really tight. I don't know if they're like the flight ones with the extra tight when you're 92, but boy, they're hard to get on. Anyone who's ever had to put those on. And then putting them on my mother, whose skin had broken down where some of her friends had put them on and just like nicked the skin with their rings or, you know, this delicate, delicate, delicate attention. Putting on this stocking with the kind of attention how would it be to attend to yourself on your seat in that way? Or with the zeal and enthusiasm that you have surely had of attending to something you're passionately interested in. A book, a story, a lover, a sunset. That your attention could be filled out with all those qualities and not just the tight imperative of something you're supposed to do so you can meditate, so you can feel a bit better. But just see how precious is this gift, this gift of attention while we still have it, while we still have it and while it's still trainable because it may not be trainable forever. That capacity to apply our mind in this way isn't a given. If you've been with anyone whose mind starts to fail them, who, who, yeah, cannot attend. So let's breathe a little bit together. Let me see where we are with the time. So we give ourselves these tasks on a retreat to train the attention in ways that are less familiar and that are wholesome. And we run into the habits of our attention that are not necessarily leading onward and deepening. Have you run into any habits of your attention today? And it's really good that you do. It's not wrong. And again, there's nothing wrong with habits. We can have some really good habits really helpful habits, and we will invariably bring all our limited habits of attention to meditation. We can't help it, but the meditation will highlight them. This is the good news. So default, the default attention is involuntary. It just goes where it goes. The loudest sound, it goes there. The yummiest looking cake, it goes there, right? It's involuntary. And apparently, from an evolutionary perspective, this involuntary attention is based on uh, the intention, albeit not conscious in us, of going towards what's pleasurable and moving away from what is not. And pretty much ignoring what is not exciting or threatening to us. That, as one of my colleagues is fond of saying, doesn't help us get awakened. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's fine for evolving certain things, but that won't do it. 
that won't do it. So that will be one of the habits we run into. I'd like to try another experiment. Attention, the habits of attention um, are as distinctive and specific as somebody's pattern of walking. If you have noticed that you can be on the high street and a long way off, you recognize first your friend by the gait, their walk, the particular distinct style of the way their body moves like nobody else's. Actually, it's so unique, like a signature. Have you noticed that? Attention is similar. And I just want to reflect on, lately I um, have gotten into watching a little bit of football, soccer. I I live in Britain, so it's soccer. Um, And the team that my family of origin support called Crystal Palace, very grand name for a very ungrand part of South London. Um, I've been watching them lately and you know, each one of those guys, they, the way they run is completely not like any one of the other guys in the team. And how would it be if we could be so specific and precise about the way our attention has gotten shaped for all kinds of good reasons into certain ways that we could see the gate of our own attention, the G-A-I-T. We could see that gate, that shape. In the, in the same non-judgmental way that I remarked, there's a player called Balassi, and he runs. He's a really good player. It's great. Nobody probably knows who he is. <laughs> That's great. Um, and, and, he, and, he won, and he sometimes scores goals for Crystal Palace. And he, the way his body moves, it's so distinctive. It's not like any other body moves on that pitch. And then when I look a little closer, I see that about each one. And then when we look at that in each other, we can see that in the walk of each other. So distinctive. Once, one of my colleagues, we were teaching on an outdoor event, and he is a body worker. And so he's very trained, and some of you may be very trained to see, uh, because you can see a lot about a body and a soul. In the, in the shape of the movement. And he very kindly pointed out to me something about the way I was walking, reflecting something about my mind. I was a little bit like, oh, he's, he's seen, you know. And then I remember going home and seeing my mum, my dear old mum, down that same high street, in that same part where that same football team comes from, walking down the high street in her distinctive... Her distinctive eyes down, you know, let's do it. Her own particular style, which will be revealing something about her attention, right? It's not wrong, but we want to see the habits of attention because then we'll know if they're free or not free, or if we're bound to always attend in the same way.
So here's the experiment. Attention habits can look like many things. And I'm going to name a habit of attention that some of you will have more or less recognition of. We're, we have different styles, like these different footballers. Right. But I'd like you to mimic internally if you wish and externally if you're feeling um, happy to play how that attention looks when mirrored in the body. So here's an example. If I say sometimes a habit of attention is an attention that is uh, like a butterfly. It doesn't quite land. It sort of lands and then touches something and flitters down on it and Right? Always looking for another, whatever butterfly to look for. Flowers? Right? Anyone got any butterfly style in their attention? Attention, so you can play if you like. Um, attention can get very fixated, very tight and fixated. Just feel the gathering. If the whole of you is attention, imagine you're getting tight and fixated on that particular thing. You're going to zone in, hone in. Yeah. Now that's not to say that sometimes attention can be like a laser beam. It can. It's one of its gifts. It can penetrate and shine a lot of focused light onto something. Fine if we can see what's going on, but sometimes the attention is captured that way. That's less freedom. Sometimes the attention gets, uh, what, collapsed. You notice that, anyone? You know, you hear that instruction again, okay, be with your whole body breathing. Right, and you can see it reflected in the body. The body kind of collapses, the attention collapses, the intention collapses. What other kinds of... Habits of attention do you have? Do you see? Um, dispersed. It's different than a butterfly. I don't give butterflies a hard time. They're perfect, perfectly embodied versions of butterflies. But dispersed, where it's kind of, it can look a little bit like spaciousness, but it's a little bit sort of, it's like the attention just kind of, doesn't quite land and make contact with the object. Anyone notice a pattern of attention where you hover? Hover. I do well to hover. I'm starting to slip off this cushion. Where you hover. I, I'm not sure I can do it as a whole, a whole attention, but it's kind of, you're hovering. Don't quite, not quite settling. I'm not jumping off like the butterfly or the bee. I'm sort of hovering near the breath. I'm hovering near the body, but I'm not quite dropping, easing down into this beautiful, dark material of this earthly form. So we want to know about attention to study it, to see where it goes, how it goes, to notice when it gets captured, when sometimes 
a good place I see this is that, you know, those moments in the day, you, you can't do them here because you've handed in your devices, but if you open your computer and you just, you know, there's nothing drawing your attention tonight, so I'll just go online. But I don't have a clear intention why I'm going online. Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> I don't have a clear intention. And when we don't have a clear intention, boy, our attention's going to get captured in whatever is the pathway that of our preferred capturing. Right? That's where it will go. So being clear with our attention is really um, important for our health, actually, our mental health as well. But we need some real love and care with that. Sometimes we can see that attention that is hovering, flickering, not settled. It's as if we're relating to the computer and we're saying, hold me. Hold this attention. I can't hold it yet. Hold me. Sometimes the attention is hungry. Hungry. And sometimes then we're saying to the screen, feed me. Feed me. Nourish me. Give me what I feel like I don't have. Sometimes it's just a distracted attention. It's, hey, entertain me. Fill up my space. You know, dance with me. Sometimes it's the lonely heart that says to the screen, I want to absorb into you. I want to merge with you. None of these things are wrong. But when we don't see them, we get taken. And when we get taken, there's no freedom. We'll wind up wherever that track dumps us at the other end, usually unsatisfied, a little hungry or bereft. So please take care and enjoy the attention, restoring our attention to the sacred and what I mean by that is that the attention is not compelled to flatten itself to a particular uh, strata of reality but is freed up to include more include more of our inner life include more of our so-called outer life This is how we restore our attention to the sacred whole, where meaning, richness, real nourishment, real holding, is knowable as we take our seat in our location as this unique embodiment with refuges that are timeless, immediate, not bound by history or convention, but thoroughly, thoroughly resting at that fulcrum where the world of shape and color and time and space and history has 
displayed is displaying itself in all its glory and its pain, its beauty and its tragedy. Can we sit there tending this fire, breath by breath? one moment of attention we give to this fire that we make together. So let's sit together for a minute. May all beings meet themselves with kind attention. May all beings meet themselves with upright attention. May all beings be able to breathe out in safety on this earth. Just just after 8.20, let's walk a little bit and we meet back at 8.50 for a short sitting to end the evening on our first night together. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.